Filmmakers, it's time to use Soldo. Soldo is a payment solution that replaces petty cash given to employees and production assistants when in prep, on set or in post-production. Soldo is a multi-user expense account that helps you control business spending. You can give Soldo cards to some or every employee, to entire teams or even contractors instantly. Transfer funds to all card holders. And you can use Soldo for free for three months with the code FilmmakersPod. Soldo.com. Listen for more info in today's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. The Pod Fix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 272 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between how to get them made how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very very humble opinion thank you so much for tuning in thank you so much for clicking play on your podcast devices welcome to the filmmakers podcast if you are new if you're a regular listener thank you I am Giles Alderson joining me as my host today is Phil Hawkins how you doing buddy hello I'm good thank you it's nice to be back I'm not done one for a while. I don't think I've done one since Christmas. Since the oh Christmas God, yes. special. So sorry, everyone. I'm back. He's back. On <laughs> today's episode, our very special guest is the fantastic and actually delightful person as well, wasn't he, Phil? He was great. He was honestly great. He, was, he really was. It is Peter Pock. He is the executive producer of Ty West's brand new film, X. Uh, it is out now everywhere on streaming devices but he's also produced okay there's a list here this guy is a legend he's a cult legend right he's made some amazing films the roost trigger man i can see you i sell the dead bitter feast hypothermia beneath Stakeland, one and two the house of the devil the innkeepers the sacrament valley of violence most beautiful island dead wax one br and obviously X. He was just so, so cool and, and actually just wonderfully happy to talk. I mean, he, he, he hosted it himself. Yeah, he pretty much hosted it himself. Me and Phil <laughs> were kind of like there to go, right, we'll help him along. And we, he didn't need us. Yeah, we, we, were, we just were enjoying him talking to us now. We got in the way occasionally trying to ask questions. <laughs> Obviously, if you're a horror aficionado, like it's great and have a bit of a horror legend talking about you know stuff. But also, if not, like so much great advice to producers and and that and the side that side of production. And he's so passionate talking about mm. it. It was really refreshing and lovely to have someone so excitable and so personal talking about budgeting and deliverables. <laughs> you know, it was great. What will our audience learn, Phil? He'll um, talk about how he met Ty West. And yes. also how he's developed these lifelong collaborators. Like, you know, he's really kept people together as a team and grown together from all the way from film school to this day. What film got him into horror, uh, even though he wasn't a big horror fan before that, which is mm -hmm. interesting, and how he's learned from mentors along the way. He also talked about what is a producer? What do they do? It's the question we get often asked. What do you do? He describes that. He tells you why film festivals are great for indie filmmakers and getting named cast for an indie film. How he does it. Yes, uh, and he also goes into the difference between a producer and an exec 
producer, working with directors. That was really interesting. And uh, shooting movies back to back, handling slates and how to deal with filmmakers like across the board, especially in COVID times, remote working and post like... It's it's a bum, it's bumper episode. It's man. bumper, bumper. As he talks about his cult films, how it feels now for him to be a filmmaker, how he raised finance back then, and how he does it now. Why you should have lots of ideas. Uh, honestly, this is this is great for indie filmmakers. This is great for filmmakers in general. I, I you know I'm so pleased he asked to come on, and and I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> and it was great to <laughs> get course. Phil on because Phil has just wrapped his feature film, A Prancer Tale. It's a Christmas movie, as you can probably guess. We had we did. Did touch on it at the Christmas special quiz episode. Phil was about to go off and shoot that. You are now back. Give us a quick insight because me and Phil have just recorded a very special episode that's probably going to go out soon that will be part of our Patreon episodes, but we might put it out as a special for you so you can get a taster. Give us in a few words, Phil, how has that experience been? Wonderful, challenging, uh, <laughs> and 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 a relief. Uh, no, the, um, it's my first studio film, so it's a Universal Woo-hoo! and Sky movie, which, you know, for me, if anyone's heard me rattle on, uh, you know, making studio film is, is why I'm here and what I want to do, so that was wonderful mm-hmm. to have the opportunity. And, you know, it was 32 days days in the snow with a real life reindeer and a 10 year old lead and an 80 plus year old lead and basically everything they say don't make movies about um Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) and you did it and we did it and we did it and and so you know with the chat we did you know touched on you know directing young performers and how to work with live animals on set and the choice of working with live animal versus cg and and you know we we did a lot on on, it was funny we started out as a five minute chat and turned into like a 40 minute (laughs) direct Directing class. Directing sort of mini masterclass. Uh, and it was fantastic. So that will be coming out on our Patreon channel. Or like I say, I might put it out on our actual channel. But if you want to support the podcast, do go sign up to our Patreon. On the Patreon this week, the extras for you, if you like, that we decide that aren't going to make the episode, but make brilliant bonus content. And that's over on our Patreon page. And on there, uh, Peter talks about his first film uh, and the film Scream and why it's an inspiration. He also tells more behind the scenes tales and stories of his films, of which there are loads, and about the look of his latest film, X, directed by Ty West, obviously. That is all in our Patreon episode. Link to that is in the show notes, but just search uh, Patreon, the Filmmakers Podcast, and you'll find it. There's loads of bonus content there for you. Come and join us. Come and join the gang. And I just found out something, Phil. You used to be able to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can't anymore. iTunes have changed it, or Apple have changed it. So now you have to follow. There's a follow, a follow. button. Yes. Right? I didn't know this yes. until because I was trying to listen to another podcast. They've changed the word and the button. Yeah, the, yeah. Right? We, subscribing is so last year. I, I think it, it's the same. It's the same thing, right? It's the it's same just thing. the button's changed. Changed. So you've seen, so in, there's no big subscribe anymore. So it's not easy. There's a plus button top right. So yes. go there and then you will get this straight into your feed every week if you're not doing that. Do go do it because then you'll hear more of us uh, amazingness, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of shout outs before we get to the episode with Peter Pock. We have shout-outs to Nikki Stewart-Hill. Thank you for getting in touch. Appreciate that a lot. Martin Neely, Simon Cox. He has his Indigo campaign. Simon Cox. Yes, definitely shout-out about Simon Cox. Of course. He's got his campaign going now for his latest film of Infinite Worlds, uh, which is is doing well. It's just started. Link to that. We'll find it and put it in the show notes. I still so, got my mug. I had 
my mug from the I've first I've got my round. mug. It's downstairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Got a mug yeah. with Infinite Wars. <laughs> if you want your mug too, then go do go do that. Uh, go support him and try and get his next film made. Uh, Elise Finity, she emailed her film, The Ones You Didn't Burn. It's absolutely brilliant trailer. I imagine her and a producing partner will be coming on the podcast very soon. But shout out to you. Thank you for emailing saying how much you like the podcast. Michael Peace, again, loads of love coming in at the moment for people saying they're really enjoying the episode. So do keep that up. I love it. Honestly, it means a lot to us. And Jason Bullock, shout outs to you. We have more shout outs, but we'll do them next week. <laughs> for now, though, Phil, we should get to the episode because it is so full of amazing knowledge. It's chock full. So we should probably just get to it and save our whispering on for another time. We should. Enjoy. Right. Yeah. As Phil says, sit back, relax. And basically, go make your film after this. Go be inspired and go make your film. Make it happen. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. I say it every week, but do it. Next week, we've got an amazing guest for you, but I'm going to keep that as a surprise. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode with the fantastic Peter Pock. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Peter. Peter, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Good, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a love for film when you were a kid? Was that kind of, is that where you got this passion from to carry on making films? How ridiculously hard it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I, you know, I, I distinctly recall, I think in high school when I really developed uh, a love for movies, you know, just like, you know, I think what we do is teenagers and that's just the way we congregated in, in multiplexes and, mm-hmm. you know, you'd watch a movie and you just come out and just couldn't stop raving about it. And so, and I think, you know, it was when Scream had come out. And I really just was just like blown away. And I didn't really necessarily have like a, I think before that, such a, you know, an admiration for horror, but it just opened my eyes into that world and, mm-hmm. and was just like, I want to make movies. It's just, uh, you know, whether it's escapism, the fantasy of it all, um, I just loved it. And I wanted to learn, you know, everything I could about it. And I'm um, a young kid, a little bit shy in Long Island and uh, yep. told my parents, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah. And so they were just like, what? Totally didn't understand me. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was fortunate that they, you know, supported, you know, whatever ambition I had. And so I, I got into reading about filmmaking and uh, was fortunate to find a little two-day film school that was being offered in, the, in Manhattan. And I was living in Long Island, so it's probably about 45-minute train ride out to the city. Probably 16-year-old me uh, convinced my parents to pay for this two-day seminar, but it was such an amazing crash course into like the brass tacks of, of filmmaking in terms of how to, uh, um, the gentleman is named, uh, Dov Simmons and he has this yeah. two day crash Dov course. Simmons. Yeah. Dov Simmons. He's got the amazing book. Yeah. 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 yeah, totally. yeah. So yeah, yeah. this is like how I kind of got into it. And I was young mm-hmm. and, and I'm in there in a room full of adults and he had this sort of approach. It's like 37 checks that you have to write to make a movie. And that was my crash course into like, oh, how to make a movie. And mm. I came out of those two days just inspired and and sort of like this confidence of like, oh, I could do this. But there was still a lot more to learn. And then I ended up uh, converting one of my school projects into a short film and just was like, I'm just going to go for it, you know? And, but that brought me to film school and, and, and I applied to school visual arts where I was uh, accepted. And that's where I met time. It wasn't until, you know, the four years at SVA while I was a directing major, you know, I really thought I would lean into cinematography. You know, mm-hmm. I learned all the crafts. School visual arts is a very technical school where we were afforded um, the Boldex camera almost like our first week of school and shooting wow. on 16 millimeter reversal. 
Yeah. Um, so it was an incredible education. And you know, the, the most exciting part was just to meet other like-minded people. And mm. that's ultimately where Ty and I bonded. We had um, I think our film history freshman year class, everyone in that whole year is in that same class together. So, you know, you kind of recognize people and we have another collaborator, um, Sean Reed, who mm-hmm. went to school with us and um, he acted in, in, in a lot of our, 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 our movies. Uh, in the roost, uh, he's in Trigger Man, yeah. and he had classes with Ty, and that's in, and I knew Sean, and that's how Ty and I sort of met initially, and then we kept seeing each other in the editorial days when we were editing our little films on like sixteen millimeter and cutting them, and and yeah, and then we just connected. He really brought me in, like into the world of horror. I think like Ty knew horror. He had um, he grew up with a video store. Uh, and was always there checking out the latest, you know, and new, you know, VHS covers, you know, <laughs> DVD covers, you know. And I think that's like, you know, in a way, like some of the visual reference I have for movies um, that I hadn't seen, but I re- would remember the cover. Yeah, I love that. What I really like about what you're saying there as well is the, the collaboration. Yeah. between. It's kind of like finding your tribe and then going, well, let's stick together. I was going to say the exact same words, Giles. Unbelievable. It's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the tribe, because, or maybe it's been brainwashed by listening to this podcast. Maybe, uh, maybe, yeah. but, I know, but people like, I, you know, you get contact, people email all the time, say like, how do I get into this? How do I get into that? How can I work with you? How can I, you know, and it's like, well, you find your tribe and you kind of grow together together and everyone like learns the lessons as that as it goes forward and you're a great testament to that with you and ty and other collaborators going mm-hmm. forward and like now into films like x and work with a24 and all this kind of stuff like it's a journey you know it just doesn't happen overnight by sending an email so it's really i think it's really important for people to kind of hear that to look mm-hmm. at, look to the side and grow with people you know i think that's important yeah 100 yeah i mean it's you know it's, it's it's just defining that community wherever you know and that's something else that like so while we were at sva I had an opportunity to meet with Larry Fessenden and, and ended mm-hmm. up interning with Larry. And, and, and that relationship, um, you know, kind of evolved, you know, as we graduated, Larry told Ty, like, you know, well, what's stopping you from making a feature? And, you know, if I could help you with a little bit of, 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 of money, you know, is that what it would take? Yes, please. And, <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs> no, yes, actually, please. I don't need the money. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah, so Larry, um, with, through his company, Glass Eye Picks, uh, was really, you know, like down to help um, Larry himself as a filmmaker, um, mm-hmm. as a, as a, known as a you know an artist of the east village community in new york city through his company yeah helped a lot of emerging filmmakers and mm, uh, yeah. and ty was one of them and you know we had graduated in may of um 2003 and we're on set on the roost in october of 2003. wow i love that obviously you had the tr- training you know in film school but kind of nothing prepares you for making a feature film. <laughs> the training that we had in film school is very different from what you learn on set. And uh, I was fortunate to, to get uh, mentored um, by a producer that Larry had brought on, Susan Lieber. So I just kind of learned, I mean, she's a, a New York City independent producer and line producer. And I say line producer because that is the, the nuts and bolts of, of filmmaking. You know, they mm-hmm. deal with the budget and, you know, and then you know, and then the world, you know, of the, of the crew. And I kind of fell into production management on that, on that movie and, and really Mm -hmm. learned what that meant, you know, and and supporting the crew and what their needs are and anticipating 
the next day's work. And for each production, I'm always learning. And I think, you know, I was really mm-hmm. grateful for all those years in it because it's tough to break in. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. there's no secret and, you know, every path is different, but, you know, I think you just have to have a determination, you know, to, to keep at it. I don't think I made any money working on that movie. I'll be honest, you know, <laughs> but I didn't, that wasn't why I was doing it, you know? No, of course not. Straight up film school. It's a great credit. You know I mean? It's literally like, let's take the credits and you're surrounding yourself with amazing people. The fact that you've got a, an experienced producer on straight away that you could learn from. Absolutely. Even yeah. though at the time you didn't necessarily want to be a production manager necessarily. Like you mentioned there how important it was to watch and see the grassroots. Do you think if you'd come in as the producer and there'd been another production manager, you might not have seen that side of it and you might not have understood some of the roles. Being a production manager, you see a lot, you know, you yeah. see you see a lot of what goes on. The unfiltered view of filmmaking. Do you think that really helped for you to grow as a producer and, and you glad it went that way? Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I had, you know, the opportunity to PA on a couple of other independent movies prior to, to getting out of uh, film school. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got into to sort of be, you know, on set and on independent movies, you know, I think, um, especially, you know, really ultra low budget independent movies. I mean, you're wearing multiple hats in, mm-hmm. in every role that you're doing. And so, you know, and I just wanted to learn and experience and befriend people. The You know, we were... On the roost, we were accompanied by another classmate of ours, Eric Robbins, who's our cinematographer on the roost and yeah. who, who goes on to, to also shoot the sacrament with us as yeah. well as in a valley of violence. And so, I mean, it was just building, you know, this community of, of people that we just enjoyed the you know, company and then their artistry and their commitment to the work. Which is great because you also, you also did other jobs. You were first ADing on projects and you were helping out on other things. But then did you have that hankering to go, no, I want to produce because that's exactly kind of what you did moving forward. You were like, no, no, I'm, that's the role I want to do. And it seems that way. Did you really sort of push to say, no, look, I can do this and I will produce. And did that what happened with Trigger Man that you were like, look, this is what I want to do. Believe in me that I can do this. Yeah. So I think something that's really important to, uh, that like I realize. Um, so in film school, you're, you know, we had to, uh, well, certainly at the School of Visual Arts, you, you kind of choose your concentration and producing wasn't a, a, a concentration track. It was like editing, writing, cinematography, directing. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I was in the <laughs> yeah. directing program and that builds up into making a thesis film, a final film of all movies that I was really inspired to do. And I was always ambitious. And so I had seen Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge, this you know musical, and I thought, oh, I, I could make a musical. That would be fun. And while I had a good time, you know, there was the challenges because, well, I don't know how to make, write music. And, and, uh, and I also didn't know how to produce you know, more importantly, and that's what I'm getting at. Like, you know, you, you know, making all these short films, you know, we're just kind of scrambling to do it, but like, what does that really mean? And I learned on my thesis, how difficult it was to direct without having someone that's focused on creating that environment in order to, to direct it. And so that is what the producer and the line producer and production manager and an AD create, you know, together, you know, is all the preparation is that it's done ahead of time is so that we can be there on set and have those, you know, that precious moment where the director and the, and the actors can really work together with, you know, in unison with the, the, the crafts people. So, I mean, like cut to uh, 2006 when Ty at this point had written The House of the Devil, but the financing hadn't come in for it. So, 
he was getting a little like, you know, like we had made the roost and it'd been some time and he was very like, you know, eager to get back into making something. He had gone to South by Southwest and uh, the Seaches Film Festival with the roost and met other filmmakers and they were making their subsequent movies. And so he was, and this is also when DV video cameras start to come out at the rise of a lot of DV films. And, you know, at that, at that point, it's just a medium in which, you know, you're going to use to capture your story, but it's still about the story. Titus decided that, you know, while, you know, we would, you know, it, you know, until the opportunity to make House of the Devil comes about, let's make something else. And so he wrote Trigger Man, which was an opportunity to write something like, you know, contained and tight and, you know, went back to Larry and said, Larry, can we uh, make this really, you know, tiny movie and for less money than The Roost? And, and Larry was like, well, okay, sure. And even at that point, I think Ty, you know, he's wearing his own producer hat in that, like, well, I'm from uh, Delaware and I have access to, you know, these locations mm -hmm. in my hometown and the support that I could have there. And mm -hmm. so, like, you know, and, you know, you read all the books, you know, at that point, you know, we're all aware of Kevin Smith's start, you know, yeah, making Clerks yeah. and uh, Rebel Without a Crew from Rodriguez. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you know the stories and you just know that, like, you know, it's not going to just happen unless you just make it happen. And then so that's, you know, that's what we did. And, and Ty at that point emailed me and I was traveling uh, internationally and I was getting back and he's like, we're going to make a movie and this is it and you know and larry says that you can produce and i said okay and so you know it's like yeah because the, you know the stakes were you know low it weren't a lot of money i mean we're talking cool. yeah. you know i think at the time maybe fifteen thousand dollars mm -hmm. um and yeah. you know and then that, that you know when you added post to it, it kind of grew a little bit more, but I mean, you know, it wasn't that much more and we were able to sell it and, you know, and it proved, you know, this is when the home video market was still thriving. Mm -hmm. So you could, you know, we could experiment and, and, uh, it was a great time to, to be able to afford this opportunity to go do it. And perfect for genre as well, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of people trying to make the same sort of thing, but maybe a more kind of art house leaned or maybe kind of an overly ambitious, you know, version of like a sci-fi, <laughs> you know, whereas to make horror that is like DV, almost direct consumer kind of you know mm -hmm. deal it's like it's like a perfect storm isn't it you know if like people passionate about horror know the tricks know what works you know and uh, almost go back to the whole vhs kind of feel of uh, of of making movies i mean it's it's a great yeah. great genre to be in at that time you know totally it was flying how did it feel for you then to go okay i'm producing a movie did you feel like it was just kind of i mean there's a lot to do as you know but was it kind of did you thrive in there did you learn from mistakes did you you know looking back now talk us through it i'm still learning from mistakes to this day for sure right so, we I all mean, do right you know, you, know, <laughs> I, I, you know and i think you know and I'm, I'm always eager to learn about new new approaches and um but yeah i mean at the time what did that mean producing you know mm. i mean mm. you know what it means is like you know you're responsible from taking the project kind of from the beginning to the end and then the end is like not just you know finishing editorial but like through delivery which is, you know, when you, you sell the movie to a distributor and then, you, you know, create all the elements that they need so that they can put the movie out into the world. And, you know, you know, production was barely, I think, like 10 days or something like that. Um, and I had developed a skill set of, you know, taking the script, breaking it down, making a shooting schedule building a budget, you know, I was, you know, all the, all that stuff I learned, you know, with computers, you know, I was, I was savvy and, um, and I had a business, um, knack, if you will. Yeah. I was very proud to like, you know, I'll say the trigger man was the first movie I outright produced, you know, saw th through it, but you know, we were very contained, you know, it was mm -hmm. like the crew was Ty and myself and the makeup artist. 
um, right. and three actors, you know? So, you know, I'm helping Ty during the day, you know, with the camera and I'm booming and, you know, making, you know, I'm, and I'm running, you know, transpo and like, you know, Ty's <laughs> mom was helping us with like lunches and like, yeah, you know, exactly. you know? Yeah. so it's, it's like that, but it's like, you know, we're all young and friends and, you know, he casted, you know, Sean Reed and a couple other uh, friends of his and, you know, in the roles, yeah, Ray Sullivan and, and Reggie mm-hmm. Cunningham. And, um, you know, we, it, it didn't feel like, you know, a big movie by any means because, because it mm-hmm. wasn't, um, you know, but I did have to do the adult thing, which was, you know, Trigger Man is, is not complete without rifles. Everyone, you know, is, they're going on this hunting trip. And so right. I had to figure out how to, you know, go rent some, some rifles, you know, how are we doing this? How did you sell the film then? Because it seems like, you know, you, you did take to it like a duck to water in a way you were like, okay, I'm going to stand up. I'm the one, you know, trying to lead the ship in some way, even though it's a small crew, you've still got to like say, go through that whole edit process and then get the movie out into the world. How did you find that process as a first timer, you know, literally going, please take our movie. Someone please, obviously you have Larry on your side, which really helps. I imagine for that support, but yet you're leading the ship. So how did you navigate those choppy waters? Yeah. I mean, Larry was always there to support, you know, the, the creative process very, Mm -hmm. very, you know, he always supported like the filmmaker and, and, and creatively where, you know, Ty was going with the movie at this point, you know, we already made the roost, you know, like as a, as a community together. So, Ty had already been familiar with South by Southwest as a film festival, which invited the roost. That was the first, you know, festival. And so South by was already like, this is where we should go. Ty had such a great time there. Uh, Matt Dentler at the time was running the film festival, who's now an executive over at Apple these days. But mm-hmm. Matt has been instrumental into not only supporting our careers and journey as filmmakers, but also many others, including Joe Swamberg, Amy Simons, you know, just name a, a few other filmmakers. So getting, you know, you send the movie to to basically Matt at that point, he's like the head programmer. And then you hope that like, he likes it and he invites the it. movie to the screen. And, and, and that's essentially uh, what came about. I mean, at this point, you know, I think while my forte was, I think in production at this point and, and posts, you know, the, mm. you know, sales distribution is still something I'm, you know, learning and still learning. I mean, it's always, you know, because the, the market is always changing, but you know, our approach was get the movie into a film festival, you know, screen and get, you know, good positive reviews. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and hopefully that will then elicit, you know, interest in sales. And so, you know, you talk to basically, you know, the, the salespeople that we had worked with previously and between getting into South by playing well there. And then we had the LA film festival at the time um, was our second stop. And between those two, we had interest from their screenings at South by. And at this point, you know, Ty's already had made one other movie. So, you know, there's a little bit more visibility out there, you yeah. know, especially with the film, I think in competition. And I mean, South by is a great festival to get, you know, sort of noticed. I mean, like that's the, you know, yeah, that, that's the one, isn't it? You mm. know, especially for genre filmmakers, that's the one we all want. So we all crave. <laughs> yeah. And, and so from there, you know, you then, um, you know, we, we just follow up on our, on the, on the leads and then you try to find the, you know, sale, either international sales company or distribution company, the domestic one that, you know, is, you know, kind of like really gets the film and wants to support the film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you just go ahead and make a deal and there's hope that it works, you know, kind of all works out. Yeah, you know? totally. And that's the thing when you first start, you kind of hope and you feel scared to go into a deal, you know, in the distribution or the sales side, because 
you're worried that you're going to get the rug pulled from under you or, you know, they're going to rip you off or whatever. Because you hear all these stories all the time. How did you navigate that? How did you, you know, guess at the start? How Obviously, you read all the books and people had said what to do and you had advice. But still, it's frightening when there's that contract in your inbox and you've got to read it and go yeah. through it and know what you're talking about. I mean, at some point, you know, you, you start to have to like, you know, you, you basically are looking, you're doing your research into who's the company that you're working with. And you're talking to the other filmmakers that they work with and you're getting all that sort of referential information references that's it you trust your gut that like this is the right partnership mm. um but you, you know i also like you know i don't think it's helpful to get hung up on it either you know we approached it like let's get the film made and out there in an effort to get the next one so you know at that point when trigger man was getting out and you know we were trying to do our deal i recall ty was already shooting on cabin fever 2 right so he, you know, he's focused on an opportunity that, you know, was forwarded to him from Eli and I was already moving into making, I don't, or already at, right after Trigger Man, I think it wasn't long where Larry had then greenlit Graham Resnick, which is like, who's, uh, you know, Graham Resnick's film, I Can See You. And Graham and Ty grew up together. So we literally- wow. What happened in this place for all these yeah. amazing horror filmmakers? You're like, what happened? Was what there was kind in the of water? A, the yeah, zombie yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's, it's you said you even weren't into horror until you met these people. Like, <laughs> what, what was yeah. feeding yeah. you, Peter? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and Graham was going to school at NYU. So he's also in the city, so. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm already meeting him. And, and it's funny because that's like, I remember meeting Graham early on. It was very intimidated. He had like a full grown beard already. And I was just like, who's wow, this, this older gent? And I, you know, and <laughs> it was just the way that Graham carried himself as like, you know, with the, you know, the cowboy bolo tie and, you know, and a hat. And, uh, but yeah, Graham's, you know, in, in, you know, incredible filmmaker in his own right, which is why I think he's such a good sound designer because he's always thinking as a filmmaker and the storytelling of it all. But yeah, I mean, Graham and Ty went to high school together and then ended up, you know, kind of doing, going different different routes to college, but still kind of working together. And, and Graham would always kind of help Ty with his sound design. And so even the early shorts, I mean, Ty always had incredible sound design. And I was like, what's your, we- what's your secret weapon? And it was Graham. And, and mm-hmm. all these years, like, you know, Graham has continued to support Ty on these movies together as Graham's, you know, has been going down his own path. And he was, you know, incredibly influenced by David Lynch, hitched Larry on, on this movie, I Can See You. I, I recall reading the script and not really sure I understood what was going on, but right. it was just an audible opportunity. So you just say yes and you go do it. Right. And, yep, you know, absolutely. and it's just like, we're going back to Wilmington, Delaware, where we shot Trigger Man to the same park. Right. Okay. Same part, same policeman going yeah. by you again. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it, you know, it, 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 it was like a really interesting time, 2000 and, um, and six for me to do that. And then when I got back from doing Graham's movie and Graham's getting into editorial, now checking in on Ty, I get another script and it's, you know, from this Irishman, Glenn McQuaid, yeah. that Larry also is like, had worked with him on last winter, the VFX supervisor. And Larry says, yeah, I want to make uh, this movie. It's this period uh, grave robbing movie. And, uh, you know, what do you think, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and I was like, well, I don't know how we're going to make I'm like, yes, love the characters, but I don't know how we're going to do this on, you know, this little of a budget. But, you know, you know, let's figure it out. And that's what we start to do. And that was I Sell the Dead, right? That's right. Yeah. I Sell the Dead. Yeah. Like I say, with these, again, it's micro budgets at the time. But yet for you, like you say, just jump in and learn so much from these. And it must have been so much fun as well as the difficulties that come with making a film but also for you as a you know that someone like larry is trusting you to go yeah here you go here's 
go go produce this. Oh, here's another yeah. one. Go produce yeah. this. How did that feel for you at the time? Because this is your dream, and suddenly now it's happening. Someone's actually going, yeah, yeah. Here's another job, and they, they, yeah, that yeah. We'll, we'll fund that film. Go. Oh, I mean, inc- incredibly surreal. Like you know, you don't you know, you, you just can't believe it. And you know, yeah. When Larry sent me to Delaware re- initially on, on on Trigger Man, it was like here's like 15 checks that I've already signed. You wow. know. You know, it was just like, you know, <laughs> you know, cause we're just, you know, paying right out of the company and like glass, I picks checks. And it was like, okay, I think I had a, you know, a very trustworthy nature about myself. And so, yeah, you, do. you know, yeah. I think with I still dead, I mean, I think at this point, like, you know, yes, we're, we're still in the world of micro budget. At least we, we, we approached it initially that way, but I wanted to, you know, I had my own ambitions and they were growing and so I had met with Glenn and I said, Glenn, you know, you know, we're casting this movie. Like, who do you have in mind? And he's describing Arthur Blake to me. And, you know, and I'm thinking like, okay, like, you know, we're, you know, we're somewhere in the British Isles. It's, you know, it's this late, like 17th century, you know, like, you know, and Larry's playing Willie Grimes. He's in it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had already played him in a short that Glenn made previously called Resurrection Apprentice. And with this young, uh, young actor, Daniel Manchi, in it. And so I see the short and the short actually ends up in the movie and it was shot on film. So we were able to scan it and then put it in and it added a little bit more texture to the movie because we we brought Daniel Manchi back who plays young Arthur as the young apprentice. And then, you know, I get this idea because I'm watching, you know, I'm, I'm always watching a lot of movies and, and, and even TV like series mm-hmm. and Lost was huge at the time. Dominic Monaghan's on the show and we all know him because you know, we'd seen him in, in Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and, you know, and, uh, you know, if I'm not a Peter, you know, of course I'm a Peter Jackson fan, but Ty is a huge Peter Jackson fan right. from that taste. And all those nights spent in Wilmington, Delaware at his parents' house, you know, in the basement sleeping, you know, we're watching the extended <laughs> cut. I mean, it's like, you know, so yeah. it's not lost on us who Dominic Monaghan is. And I yeah. said, Glenn, well, what about this guy, that. you know, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, what do you think? And I think, you know, you know. Glenn was like, yeah, great. And then Larry teased me for the longest time, you know, my man crush, you know, oh, and I said, watch. And then, and I was bold and and got his, uh, his reps info from like IMDB pro Mm -hmm. and just cold called him and pitched him. And I I just said, Hey, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm literally like, you know, so nervous, but you know, yeah, but what's the worst that can happen? They say, you know, you know, and they're asking questions about the financing. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we're working on it. And just, you know, it's like, you know, you know, you talk about gatekeepers and, you know, there's an assistant, but he did connect me to, you know, his agent. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, we got this project and I think, you know, he'd be incredible for it. You know, like, let me send it to you, you know, and they agreed. And so we put together, you know, a package of like the script, personalized note from Glenn, why, you know, he should do the role. Mm-hmm. But then we had some other like sort of secret weapons. David Bell, our production designer from The Roost, all the way back from The Roost, yeah. uh, is a super talented illustrator. And he has done some sketches on some location photographs that we had taken because, you know, how are we also going to transform New York and Long Island into the British Isles. And so, you know, especially 17th century. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we had this, this, we had this bar called the scratcher in, in the East village that Larry would go to and uh, knew the owner. And, you know, it was just this like basement bar and then like, you know, but we took it and then David had sketched out like, you know, pillars to make it more, you know, Victorian, I think the combination of those plus Larry had always, you know, kind of made a lot of comic books of his own stuff. And so he had access to artists like Bram Ravel, who did the early rendering for what I Sell the Dead's like 
comic book ended up becoming. Mm -hmm. And so we had some of these story, you know, so like you're not just getting a script that like nobody wants to read, you know, you're getting visual material with it that invites you into the world. And Mm -hmm. so when Dom talks about it, he's like, Oh, I get this package and it's like comic books. Awesome. And he's flipping through (laughs) and then it's, you know, so then it reads it. And then it's like, I mean, I couldn't, I'll tell you, it was like, getting a call from him from Hawaii, like two weeks later, you know, and it's, it's him like, you know, you know, this actor from a show that I'm like a big fan of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, calling me and like talking about the movie. He's like, Hey, I want to, you know, I, I want to talk, I want to meet with you guys, you know? Wow. And, uh, and so it, it started the journey. And then Larry loves to tell the tale of how we, I think the Emmys were going on in, in Los Angeles and we already cast Ron Perlman in the in, in the movie, and which so, is also an amazing coup as well. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, let's not brush over that. Which had to do with you know Ron being in Last Winter, Glenn being the visual effects supervisor on that movie where they were shooting in Iceland. So there was time FaceTime that that Glenn had with Ron and right. and you know and kind of pitched him. And you know, and ultimately, when it boils down to it, it's only a couple days together. Mm. Right. It's, you know, so it's not a huge burden and, you know, and I think you can get access to, to more established and, and more visible talents if you, you know, condense the time that you need with them. Right. So it's not, you know, you know, and so then they're there for, you know, a week and, you know, you can shoot them out and they're part of yeah. the movie. So then we decide to go to LA and this is like, you know, LA is not something that's like very familiar to me. So it's like a big trip for Glenn and Larry and I to go to LA to go meet with Ron and introduce Ron to Dom, who are also meeting for the first time. (laughs) You know, we have this dinner and I mean, the two guys just sort of really connected, hit it off. And then Glenn is such a charming, you know, Irishman with his, with his tail and, you know, such a lovely guy. So it it was just like the chemistry was there. We just knew that this was going to kind of come to fruition. And it was just a matter of when were we going to do this? And we weren't sure when, you know, Dom would, you know, kind of finish the season on Lost. And if that meant that we could still shoot with, with Ron, but Ron was up for Hellboy 2. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the schedules, you know, and you always hear about actors kind of falling out because of scheduling. scheduling. It's, yeah. it's a real thing. It's, yeah, it's, it's a real know, thing. It's a puzzle. Meanwhile, you're not letting Don want to spoil Lost for you by going, are you in the show? Are you still? Yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 Are you going to be out? <laughs> Is it real? And <laughs> 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 um, by the way, Dominic Monaghan has been on the podcast, episode 191. Um, for anyone who wants to go find it, he's amazing <laughs> and funny. Yeah, as incredible. Hell. Yes super supportive yeah. and, uh, so and still a, a fan. I mean, Glenn has written a, a, a follow-up to that movie okay. that brings all those characters back in his own you know world. So maybe one day we will uh, be back with uh, Grime, with the adventures of Grime and Blake. Fan mail. Fan mail. Sponsored by Soldo. So Tobias, which famous person wrote to us this week? A bloke called Ethan Hunt wrote to us. Mm-hmm. You may know him from the Mission Impossible series. Oh yeah, must have been really difficult to get hold of him. Yeah, he's always on a time limit, that guy. So he wrote to us as he wants to make a remake of Face Off. Mm, he'd be good in that role. Which one? Either. Do you know what, he's just hunting for an opportunity, I reckon. Uh, as we at the Film Squad are at the forefront of indie filmmaking, he has mm-hmm. asked us for help. Can we help? Of course we can, because we use Soldo. What's Soldo? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, Toby. Soldo has been expanding into the film industry and it's going to be an absolute game changer for filmmakers and how film budgeting and production flow is managed. Basically, it's a payment solution that replaces 
replaces petty cash given to employees or production assistants. Get three months for free by using the code FilmmakersPod. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Oh, we should probably get back to him. Oh, don't worry, Ethan. We won't leave you hanging. Now we could obviously look. There's so much of your career because the next stage you went to, you know, the House of the Devil, the one that you were talking about with Ty, the one that you wanted to make. Now, obviously, after Cabin Fever two, it might have been a lot easier for him. Suddenly, it's like, oh, okay, what else have you got? All right, well, I want to make this that I've been wanting to make for a while. And what's really nice is that you were brought in as well. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, I'm still here. I'm making movies, and you're part mm. of that team because yeah. a lot of the time when people suddenly make it they go off and exec producers or whatever say oh well use this producer use my friend use my friend and i love it when teams stick together and like you say you're this sort of mini family you know that you all found each other and then now you're back working with ty again on house of the devil do you want to just talk us a bit through that i feel the dead at this point is in is into post and mm -hmm. um now the money showed up for uh you know, House of the Devil. And then, and then Ty told those producers, like, well, well, Pete's busy. He's doing I Sell the Dead. But then, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, yeah, let's figure this out. And Larry's a producer on, on House of the Devil uh, with the other producers that had originally commissioned Ty to write that script. And so, yeah, you know, I'm jumping in to, you know, figure out where and how much we're, you know, it's going to cost to make this. And Ty, and, and at this point, I know, you know, how Ty wants to make the movie. I mean, he wants to shoot on film. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, the, and, and I, at this point, also, I Still the Dead had, had, had grown from micro, I mean, it's still, from micro budget to like sort of an ultra low budget. I mean, it's, we're hitting the seven figures. And so in terms of budget, so I, I'm now more confident at commanding, you know, the million dollar budget. And it's right. like, you know, which right. is like, you know, from $15,000 to, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I'm responsible for a lot more money. And now you're taking into account like tax credits and like, how does that work and learning that. And, and, you know, and you just, you know, inform yourself with other people who are more knowledgeable about it. You know, you find the, the experts and, they're in, and the, the resources are out there if you're willing to kind of look, you know. All the payroll companies have tax credit experts that will like, you know, guide you through. And every town has a film commissioner, you know, or a tax credit administrator who will also walk you through their specific credit because like, well, you know, I'm not, you know, knowledgeable in every one of them, but the ones that like, you know, are of interest at work, you know, I'm always going to check in to see what the latest is and, and how it works. But yeah, we um, get into House of the Devil, which, you know, had its challenges. I think it was like when you're making a movie that the devil, you can't avoid, you know, things that go wrong. And like, yeah. you know, the whole movie shot, you know, on nights and, you know, we're in Connecticut, which is the first of many movies I go and shooting in Connecticut because, you know, we... We stay at a place called the Yankee Peddler Inn while we're making the House of the Devil, which becomes the genesis for the return when Ty makes the innkeepers because he's informed by his own experiences, you know? You just shot at the same time, come back, shoot that film, go back, you know, two yeah, years exactly. back to back. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was extraordinary to... Um, to call the hotel and say, hey, remember us, that rowdy group of like young people who just, you know, basically never slept because we're always making the movie. <laughs> and then we'd come back super rowdy in the morning and then go to sleep during the day and then go back, you know, uh, out to, to shoot again at night. And um, they were like, yeah, of course we remember you guys. And I'm like, well, we want to come back and make, uh, you know, a haunted hotel movie. What do you think? And the hotel has a, a lore of already being, you know, um, yeah. uh, of, of, of in, in, you know, inhabited by uh, Mrs. Connolly. They were really delighted to have us back. And, That's you know, good. the best part about this is that now, you know, I can treat the whole thing as a location and not like a hotel, you know. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, being more cost efficient. If as a location, I don't have to pay your hotel tax, you know, mm. that you're paying, you know, and so it was just like, you know, this is how we're doing it. And I mean, it was the best community, you know, you wake up and you go downstairs and you're on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Saved on that transportation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, I mean, the glass light picks was like, you know, I mean, I was very grateful to being a part of the, you know, this community that Larry had basically built and assembled and house of the devil set us up with, uh, dark sky films, uh, mm-hmm. NPI media group, um, uh, based out of Orland, um, park in in illinois just outside chicago um they were very supportive of house of the devil and then glass light picks so invested in a, a multi-picture deal Amazing. to make more movies and that's right. when you know and of course you know we're heading into a global recession in 2009 mm-hmm. so you know the opportunity to like have you know a couple movies sort of greenlit you know and you know and it was strategic where Three movies, different budget sizes, and we are now looking at figuring out the you know you know the right filmmaker for those movies and what they want to do. And those movies became yeah. uh, Bitter Feast, mm-hmm. Hypothermia, yep. and Stakeland. Amazing. <clears throat> and you know, and they're you know they're you know their business model is like it's a slate. So you know, if if one of the movies kind of really can perform, it just covers the cost of, you know, the whole slate. And that's, you know, certainly what came about. And so are you, are you execing these now? Is that you're looking after the slate and this is, are you like still producing? No, I mean, I'm, I'm still an on the ground physical producer. Yeah. Through all those movies and then get through that. Uh, I hadn't worked with Larry as a director at this mm-hmm. point yet. So, I mean, if we're, you know, to jump ahead, Chiller had given Larry an opportunity, which was a sci-fi sister network to make uh, a monster, a creature feature of his own right. You know, yeah. this fish in a lake movie. Larry's like, yeah, let's go do it. And I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do this one. This is like <laughs> every time you've said that. A lake, no way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, trial by fire, you know, you know, but you know, always proud to get through it because I think, you know, like that follow through is important and mm-hmm. um, get through that. And then right after we we wrap and Larry goes off into editorial, Ty calls me up and says, hey, like Eli's working with these financiers and they've agreed to make the sacrament. So, right. you know, I, I need you and Jacob to go meet with them. And, and Jacob Jaffke, who had been on all these movies from I Sell the Dead as a coordinator, then mm-hmm. as a production manager on House of the Devil, and then worked with me on Innkeepers. So, you know, it's like a natural progression. And he came up. And at this point, I think he had already produced a, a, another movie on his own right, Sleepwalk With Me. So he took the lead into producing. I was still wrapping up Duties on Beneath, then joined him in Georgia, where you know, we were building Father's Compounds, you know, Eden Parish uh, in the sacrament and get there and, um, you know, see that movie sort of unfold. And this time now the movie's even, you know, grown a lot bigger. I mean, the budget is, you know, multi-million dollar and we're working with the union crew, you know, so then the experience is getting informed. Now we have a, a professional line producer there. And so then you're kind of learning from, from what, you know, how he approaches it. And, and it, this is great. I'm just absorbing more, you know, knowledge. Are you, are you missing not making the sandwiches and holding the boom at this point? Or yeah, you, uh... yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really, it's a really beautiful you know, story of like this community that's grown through these budgets and, and, and kind of not leaving anyone behind as Giles kind of said earlier and, and things. It's kind of really interesting that you've all grown together and also taking on these, all these different roles, like, oh, he, 
did that film, that thing on that film, and then grew on to this thing. So for you, like having done all this stuff going forward into these bigger films, like was there, uh, and, and with you know bigger partners and things, was there ever a worry that that community might break up, or was it just kind of together we're stronger, and that's that's how we make our films, and you know ties obviously on board with it, and you have your team, and was that ever a worry? You know, I don't think it was a worry. It was nothing. It was just like you know, I mean, we're all just kind of growing as as I think as humans, as adults, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so I think, you know, you know, time just informs us all of just where we're at in our lives, you know, mm. and, you know, and Ty would always say that, like, you know, I think because there's, a, you know, there have been on X, like collaborators that weren't able to join us, you know, for yeah. different reasons. And, you know, at this point, I think, you know, we're all very understanding of just the circumstances that are, I mean, you know, X is, you know, sort of a miracle in its own right to be made during a pandemic, you know, yeah. and, you know, the choice to go to New Zealand meant not everyone could go, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it also meant that the movie could still get made. And, you know, and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we are all in service of the movie. You know, yeah. I think, you know, it's Always. like number one is, you know, safety yeah. first, movie second. You know? yeah. <laughs> what do you think it is that you do as a producer that you've learned along the way that could actually help some of our listeners? Well, I think it, it, uh, it is about listening to the filmmaker's needs and mm. being a good advocate for, for those needs. You're wearing a lot of different hats as a producer. Every filmmaker is always going to be a little different in, in how much they need to know of the world that's, that's, you know, of that's going on with making the movie. Some filmmakers really want to know everything. Like mm -hmm. Ty is one of those filmmakers who's like, you know, like I understand filmmaking. So don't, you know, you know, w withhold information, you know, but then other filmmakers are like, no, I don't need to worry about that. You got it, you know? Yeah. And it's building that, rep you know, rapport very early on in the collaboration, you mm. know, and, and continue on it. I think it's all about communication and just being honest with what the needs are. And my approach with, you know, with, a, you know, I think the way I budget is like, okay, well, what's important to you in the elements in the script that, you know, that commands, let's say, you know, more resources. And I said, okay, if that's important, well, that must mean that we must um, pull back on some other elements. Does that work? If, you know, so it's like, if you want to shoot on film, let's say that's a choice. What does that mean? Maybe it means less shooting days. Yes. Yeah. But it's really interesting that it sounds like in everything he talks about and like, you know, your positivity and enthusiasm for producing is, is, is great and, and really comes across is that like, you want to say yes. I feel like you're the, the filmmakers you work with, you're like, what do you need? Okay. I might not be able to give you everything, but as you say, it's that, that give and take a little bit. And I feel like for me, that's what makes a great producer is like, someone's not fighting for you straight away. It's like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. No, we can't mm -hmm. afford that. It's like, how can we afford that? It's interesting on your previous films, you would say, always started out by saying, I don't know how we're going to do this, but you know, and, yeah. and, that, and that's the key, you know, and that's cool. That, that's a really nice thing as a filmmaker, it's a really nice thing to hear from producers to go like, I'll try. Yeah, <laughs> we we all know that we don't have $150 million. And if we did, you still probably want more. <laughs> but like, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's really nice. And I guess that's what makes these relationships grow is that you're so supportive of that. Do you, do you agree? I'm not just putting words in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm definitely, yeah. I was after I mean, some clickbait there, Peter. No, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> definitely, uh, you know, you have to be, you know, a cheerleader of the, you know, of the, yes. of, of the whole process, you know what I yeah. mean? And, and I think, you know, and you gotta like it. You know, otherwise you're, you may be there for the wrong reasons, you know? And, and I think a big part of why I still enjoy this work, you know, as challenging it is, is, mm. is the community. You know, it's like, 
you know, when I'm crewing up, I want to work with other um, people who I just, you know, simply enjoy their energy, yeah. um, mm. the reasons why they're there, and, you know, this collaboration. I mean, on X, um, you know, it was a different experience. I wasn't um, in New Zealand with them on production. Um, I was at home like this on a lot of Zoom calls, mm-hmm. working with our assistant editor, uh, Scott Milligan in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and uh, David Kasharoff, our editor in Los Angeles. And while I was living in Los Angeles at the same time, we actually never got to meet in person until the mix. I mean, because wow. of the circumstances with COVID, I mean, wow. it just, it, you know, we were just in this bubble, but, you know, and on the other side of the world, uh, you know, a day and a half ahead of us, you know, they were shooting and footage was coming in and we came up with this incredible workflow in order for David to get access to footage and sustain the edit while the movie's happening. Really sort of, you know, kind of worked out. It was very exciting for Ty to kind of, wrap the movie and then have a cut that was sort of there for him to first look at. I was going to ask, because it's, because it, I mean, I'm going through this right now on, on, a, on a film, but like, because Ty is the editor as such, like, you know, so he has you, a obviously trusted partner of many, many years, especially someone that's over post and the technical side of things. And, you know, you've cut stuff together, right? You're sharing those timelines and avid and stuff, um, like knows that like that's happening and you've, you've got like an assistant editor that's kind of working, maybe putting assemblies together or something. So, if there are things missing or are things of pickups and stuff, he's not losing. Because, you know, usually, you know, you'd have the editor and the editor's working and picking up the phone going like, hey, maybe we need this or it'd be nice to get this or maybe we missed that. But it's interesting that because he has you and has an assistant editor, he doesn't have to worry about missing out on that kind of layer of um, filter on the rushes, as it were, you know, as, as that's kind of what, what how it works on that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, to, to, yeah, I think you're accurate. So, I mean, I, I mean, at this point, you know, you're obviously you're in production, you have, you know, the, 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 the concerns of production to deal with. Right. Yeah. And, and all the elements that you can't control, you know, coming at you. And while COVID wasn't the major issue that we were dealing with in New Zealand, um, you know, weather was. And, you know, we're also trying to, you know, shoot New Zealand for Texas. And so mm-hmm. at that point, as long as the footage was being you know, shot, you know, he's trusting that I'm in a position, you know, of making sure that all that is happening, that the footage, you know, is, you know, is coming through. We did a lot of preliminary prep work to ensure that the color science that we were, you know, that yes. was what Ty was most important, interested in. And is this digital now? Sorry, is this, was it yes, digital? Yeah, yes. it was, uh, unfortunately, okay. because, which is, you know, because of the pandemic, I mean, yeah, it would have uh, been circumstances, very difficult. Shooting yeah. film was not, it was just something that wasn't like really possible in this particular, yeah. because while you could shoot the film, we wouldn't be able to develop it in a timely fashion. And he probably won't like me saying this, but it does look like film. It looks like a it period does. movie film. Yeah. Like, it looks like it was yeah. shot on film on dirty, like Super 16 or something, but, you know, so. <laughs> that is an, 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 you know, well thought out, you know, yes. effort. In terms of like the cut, I don't recall if Ty was looking at anything while he was in production. I think he was so focused on shooting, yeah. but he had worked with David on the Amazon series, Them, mm-hmm. and so, and David has, you know, we call him Cash, uh, has such a great, you know, kind of vibe, personality, just so easygoing, and you just know that, you know, you know that he's, he's gonna get it done, and he's just a super talented editor, yeah. and Ty knew, the technical challenges going into making X with like what the split screens and the continuity of like, you know, all these different storylines coming together. I mean, it's, there's a lot of technical yeah. uh, know-how and while Ty is, you know, proficient avid, it also been probably six years or something since he had touched the avid himself. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, so I think at that point, you know, he made the decision to kind of work with, with cash and then, 
once we had wrapped on production on X, he was able to then really sit with, with Cash and work on the movie, you know, throw scenes out, you know, bring some stuff in, rework it. And so, and while this is happening, the prep on Pearl is underway mm-hmm. because at this point, Pearl had been greenlit by the studio. So we were going to make it basically back to back and shoot it as soon as like, you know, and that meant art department had to prep the world and then go back in, um, which just also meant that X had to then get to a point in the edit to then mm-hmm. share then stop. with, you know, and then mm-hmm. be on a little bit of hiatus as Pearl is then being shot. And then as soon as yeah. Pearl wraps, you know, four weeks you know, later. So this is like, Ty did look at the X cut maybe on the weekends of Pearl, if I, you know, if that, yeah. But I mean, he's in New Zealand and, you know, and there's not, you know, it's, yeah. it's like the focus on making these movies. And then the journey to finishing both movies. I mean, this is what, you know, is where we're at. You know. So from the, from the producing perspective, going into Pearl, you know, it's kind of like, is it, because I don't know much about it, I don't know whether people do know a lot about Pearl, because it's like kind of a lot of the rats, but like, you know, is it like, well, we've got the world, we've got the sets, we've got the thing, we, you know, is it sufficient to go back in, or is it completely different? You know, I think it's, you know, best described as, a, you know, almost in a way like a Roger Corman approach, you know, yeah, where okay. like, mm-hmm. you know, here's a location that, you know, if you've seen the Pearl teaser at the end of X, then you can see that, you know, we are in Pearl's world many yes. years earlier. And so for us, you know, and this is something that Ty has talked about was when we built the world in the sacraments, you know, Father's Compound, Eden Parish, that only lived for, you know, six, seven weeks. And then all yeah. of a sudden it went away. Yeah. And, you know, that's like so many resources and, you know, to like mm-hmm. to see it go away was, you know, and so this is like something that, you know, in, in X, the house is there, but the other structures were built. So let's reuse it. And yeah. it was cost effective. And, you know, but, you know, more importantly, I mean, the Pearl script is incredible. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited as we, we head down the, you know, you know, the world of finishing on that movie and, and find out when the movie is going to be shared. How amazing. Can you tell us, obviously you've been exec producing for, you know, a good few years as well as then producing separate That's movies. Right. Yeah. Can you talk about the difference there for you? Why you wanted to do that and also you know for our listeners you know what how to work with an exec and it's very different to working with a producer yeah i think so the executive producer is is, you know someone involved with the production but may not be you know their full time at least that's you know what i see it as it's not always like the the person that you know that's bringing the financing but you know in many cases in hollywood it is given the 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 career trajectory i've had um and the success i've had you know there's you know, no shortage of, of movies that, you know, I would love to support, you know, and I think something that's uh, common amongst genre filmmakers is this community of support for one another mm. uh, that still exists. I love going to festivals. I mean, last night in New York, I went to Mike Gingold and Ted Gagan's like hard trivia night uh, where, you know, <laughs> loads of people were there having a great, you know, good old time. Some of these other titles that were happening at Glass Eye. So at this point, Jen Wexer had basically come to New York reached out and was like, I love your movies at Glass Eye. Re- emailed Larry and I and mm-hmm. wanted to learn how we made movies. And, you know, I had responded to her as I had just gotten back from the sacrament. And that basically turned into her joining us at Glass Eye. Amazing. Um, Amazing. And, and, and she started to learn how, like, you know, I post out the movies and then produce them. And then built her own confidence to produce a movie, which was her first movie was 
most beautiful islands, uh, mm-hmm. which also went to yeah. South by and then mm-hmm. won the mm-hmm. you know best narrative uh, feature <laughs> award that year. Yeah, of course it did. <laughs> so she really got you know you know like you know learned about you know how to make movies at that point. And 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 there I want to I don't want to diminish the role of the producer at that point. So mm. you know I'm not going to take a producer credit and take that away. And so I'm happy to be an EP because you know I'm not dealing with it on a full time. And especially mm-hmm. on these sort of lower micro budget movies, you know it's like if we do make a fee, it's not much. And so, yeah. you know, and so understandably I'm jumping on these movies and, and kind of just supporting the people that I believe in, in, in the way that I can, like another title that I'm really proud of and pr- proud of to jump on board, you know, after that, uh, is also like me that Jen mm-hmm. goes on to produce around Mockler. And then when I got to LA, like, I mean, it's like, you know, so a funny story. It's like, you know, met a, a guy at a bar and he's like, Oh, I just made my first horror movie, you know, cool. You know, <laughs> you know, what do you do? And like, has no idea who. <laughs> I love that. What do you- and I was, you know, oh, I know some stuff about horror movies and being like, <laughs> I've watched a few. He, he knows, he, he's Googled you. you he's you're, like, you're the mark of this point. It's like, like, oh, that's yeah. Peter over there. At the, uh, he was the yeah, policeman. The <laughs> From but, the but, uh, you know, lo and behold, like, you know, I was, you know, I kind of enjoyed his, you know, camaraderie. And, yeah. you know, I was like, yeah, let me take a look. You know, he's like, yeah, we haven't gotten to any festivals yet. You know, we're sort of finishing posts. And I said, perfect. All right, well, I'll take a look. And I was open to checking it out. Like, oh, what am I getting into? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. And I watched the movie and I was like, oh my God, like, you know, the movie, you know, you know, the movie like really sustained me and the ending was just phenomenal for me. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, I really like this. And I was like walking around my neighborhood and I was like really feeling like, well, impacted by the movie. Yeah. And the movie is one BR. It's David one Murmur's BR, one BR. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, that movie's already locked by the time I see it. So, I mean, it's, that's the movie that this mm-hmm. gets out there. And I'm like, well, I'm happy to champion this movie. And even before they invited me on officially in, as an EP, you know, I I was happy to, 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 to send a note to Fantasia Film Festival, Mitch Davis, the you know, head programmer there, who you know was delighted to hear from me and said that the movie had already been on a short list. And so they were already considering uh-huh. it, you know, yeah. and, but, you know, my little bit of, you know, kind of push, you know, you know, mm-hmm. certainly helped them make a decision to invite the film. And I was then informing the producers who just started their new company. Their background was in movie testing for the studios for many years. Um, which is its own sort of like science, very different approach. And so I was able to guide these younger filmmakers into the world of, you know, of, of film festivals, sales and distribution and, and help um, not only get the film out into the festival circuit, but also into the hands of Amazing. Dark Sky, who, you know, who, who ended up picking the film and, and taking the film out. And then later, because of the, you know, the positivity from the reviews, Netflix ended up picking up the movie and putting it up on, you know, their window. And then it, it popped to number one in the first week that it came out. I mean, it was, yeah, it was really exciting for a really tiny movie. Yeah. Were you the guy that was the, uh, sent them the email with the PDF of deliverables list and said, guys, this is what you got to now tackle. <laughs> the, the dreaded list of deliverables. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I will, I, I, I'm the guy that's like, where's that list of deliverables from day one? Because yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to, yeah. I want to budget those deliverables. And then, like, <laughs> let me tell you, deliverables have changed over the years and in ways it's gotten easier, but, and also, um, you know, delivering for A24, I mean, it was the biggest list I'd ever seen. And it really? was. Really? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what more did they want? <laughs> I mean, they, they need the PG-13 cut. Yeah. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing like that. I mean, it's like every, you know, you know it, um, and they're very, very filmmaker friendly. I mean, even down to, you know, I think hearing for, you know, the deaf or the impaired in terms of what's on screen. I mean, they mm-hmm. literally asked Ty, like, you know, do you want the music lyrics to come up? You know, which I thought right. was an extraordinary question yeah. to ask the filmmaker. And that's, you know, that's how much care it was going into it. But now when we were dealing with, you know, a, a big, a studio that's delivering, you know, on a bigger scale, the world of Dolby and Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision, I mean, it's just, there's so many different flavors. And then you're also delivering a theatrical version for the DCP. You're delivering a home video version with a near field mix. Um, the mm-hmm. different flavors of all the audio, 715120. You love this stuff, Peter. You love yeah. it. <laughs> you, love it. <laughs> you love it, Peter. <laughs> which, which we love, absolutely love. In terms of like back when you first started and the finance was, okay, maybe, you know, 15 grand, like you said, and then it went up and up and up. How is it now for you to finance a film? Obviously, you've got your name behind it. You've got Ty West's name or, you know, whoever else is, you, you are now names mm. in the industry has mm. it i imagine it has you know you get an a24 on how does it work now when you're financing a movie do you get the script from ty let's use ty as an example and then do you put it out and go who wants to put money into this if you don't mind talking us through how it works now for you compared and just run us through which you prefer <laughs> the 15 grand obviously yeah i mean you know i think i think the world of, of of film financing you know that continues to evolve and it's different and and you know and ty i mean not to be the best example of you know because he is so established and so for ty mm. you know i mean you know making x i mean he was just like he wrote it and basically knew a24 and said like if they're not gonna say yes to this script then like, I don't, you know, it's too wild and no one's going to make it, you know? Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, so yeah. that was, that was the approach there. But I would say with other filmmakers, you know, I think, you know, the name gets the opportunity to, to, to submit a lot easier, but mm-hmm. you know, it's still challenging in, in kind of finding the, 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 re- the recipe for it to make fiscal sense for all the parties. You know, it's always about, you know, mitigating the risk and balancing, you know, the story elements with the production value in combination with like, you know, real fiscal costs in terms of like, you know, tax incentives, which is something that like, you know, mm-hmm. is where we're all chasing. Where can we go that has a viable tax incentive that also offers us the locations and then then the, the filmmaking, you know, crew base, you know, because, you know, you can't afford to bring everyone everywhere all the time. So you need to lean on to the local filmmaking community. And then you got to think about, well, who's, you know, what other productions are going on there? And like, you know, and can we talk to some previous productions about the quality and the experience level? Because like, while I'm from New York and now living in LA and have experience working with those crews, when you're traveling the world, we were really fortunate X to, 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 to get, you know, you know, one of the best crews in the world. I mean, they're working on Avatar 2, you mm, know, and they're on amazing. hiatus. And so, I mean, these are gifted, you know, craftspeople and technicians, you know, who are there. And it's, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's an element to me you know, of, a, of, of getting everyone still excited about, you know, the, the work that's ahead. And so when I'm approaching a project and I still work with a lot of sort of younger filmmakers in their careers, so they're, they're who aren't as well established. And so we're still, you know, having to sort of inform everyone of, 
of what it is that we're setting out to do. So I think we're in, in, incredibly inclusive of the, the creative material and the creative agenda. The key grip may not want to read the script, but you know, here's the script. Um, was there any, you said A24, you know, he's very supportive of Ty Vin and stuff. Was it like straight in going, this is going to be a hard R, like, it's going to be nothing else, you know, like in terms of the marketplace and stuff, like, you know, it used to be that R rated is just death, <laughs> you know, uh, but true. like it, yeah. even things like, like, oh, Joker and imagine helped Apple tights come out that's an yeah. r-rated commercial movie so like was there any was there even a thought about making it like slightly softer god god forbid no no <laughs> yeah. god forbid i don't know how you would you know, but, i mean yeah. i think that i mean the real concern was like you know i think even ty was like you know ty's like i can't believe we got an r i mean that, that was <laughs> yeah. you know the the, the the bigger concerning because i think the nc-17 rating is is sort of the death on a movie that's right? the death yeah, yeah 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 but even now people are like oh could i have to give it an r maybe it can be this you know for the longest time we used to you know we would make our movies without the rating and then you know leave it to the distributor to go submit and get it and then yeah. you know but but nothing was has been as wild as x i mean it's truly you know but you know i, I think when i talk about you know the experience i had in, you know with a24 i mean they're just so supportive i mean it's like they you know once they like are on board with the script it's it's just about how do we support ty's vision but still being responsible and, and i think that, and that's why like going to texas and making the movie during the pandemic wasn't going to be you know, it, it wasn't cost effective. It would be more expensive yeah. with COVID and, and the cost of COVID provisions. Plus, like as Ty, you know, can easily say, it's like, you know, it's not a very social distant movie. Um, you know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of intimacy in it and you want it to, you don't want to be shooting this kind of movie and then, you know, in fear of, you know, uh, of people getting COVID. It, it just didn't yeah. make sense. And so yeah. it was a very special situation where, you know, New Zealand was, you know, able to, we were able to get the production in and, you know, they, I think unlike the rest of the world, were not living in the lockdown states that that we were in at the time mm -hmm. of production you know once they reopened i mean like you know covid did come in but by the time they had reopened vaccinations are up you know almost yeah. you know, i think 90 percent. so different you know sort of response to to the pandemic but you know i think it's it's just taking advantage of the of, of the circumstances you know i think ty was you know really clever to you know take his idea and during lockdown when I mean, he, he had to when he got into new zealand i think it was a minimum two-week lockdown you can't you're in like luxury jail you know, you're yeah. in the hotel, you, you know, you're given hours of like, you know, yard time, you know, outdoor time, <laughs> uh, meals are brought over to you. So, uh, but you know, you're on Zooms and stuff. And so, you know, the sets were sort of like, you know, you know, kind of moving forward. So at that point, what can he control? It's just, you know, the yeah. time that he has there. And so he wrote the script for Pearl in, in, in that. <laughs> Brilliant. Quarantine period. Yeah. And then once it exists, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, an idea isn't anything until it's a script, you know, and yeah, then yeah. it becomes yeah. more tangible. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. you know, when I'm trying to put a package together for a movie, I need the script. And then going all the way back to Ice of the Dead, I mean, that lesson I learned when getting Dominic, it's like the more materials that you can put, you know, to convince people, and it doesn't matter how many no's that you get, it's the one yes that, that matters. Some movies take an incredibly long time to put together, and other movies can kind of come just, you know, effortlessly because of the timing. And, you know, and so sometimes it's like, as a, I mean, I guess advice to filmmakers is like, you know, have a lot of ideas, you know, a lot of irons in the fire, you know, always chase the one that you're most passionate about making, but, you know, pay attention to what's going on in the world. And, you know, and if you haven't afford yourself the opportunity to attend film festivals and, and, and see what, seems to be kind of catching on, you know, but I also think that, you know, if you make something unique, you will find an audience for it, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. we're all hungry for like, you know, really awesome, you know, unique stories. And, you know, it's like, yeah. So I'm excited that, 
we're now starting to see movies that have been like kind of kept back for a long time because of the pandemic finally starting to come yeah, out. I mean, for sure. So yeah, yeah. You know, I think we're going to be treated to a lot of really fun stuff. It's great. Uh, and now as a, as a producer, you got your own production company and you can probably look at scripts and things in terms of like diversity in, in, in Hollywood and the industry and that kind of thing. Is it like, do you now feel that finally now you can have that say about those kind of filmmakers or actors or writers or stuff to kind of get new voices in, you know, like, cause obviously there's been some great successes with, you know, from Marvel, you know, with, with uh, <laughs> yeah, Shang-Chi sure. down to like craziest agents to like, you know, all this stuff. It's just kind of an important thing to, to talk about the kind of diversity side of it. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate you guys. Um, yeah. You know, uh, recognizing that. Um, I mean, it's something that I've always have talked about and, and probably, in my own way, pushed and encouraged. But I think now, um, especially like, you know, with the recent, like, um, certainly in America, like, you know, this sort of like, you know, we're, you know, we're trying to stop the hate, you know, amongst the Asian mm -hmm. community, you know, I, I, I'm from New York, you know, it's so diverse here. And so it's so bizarre for me that, you know, there's this kind of divide, you know, I'm in Los Angeles, I run a production company and we do a lot of, you know, commercial content as well. You know, I love, you know, kind of you know, changing up and always encourage, you know, department heads to bring in women, people of color, like, you know, let's, let's, you know, because like, I think, you know, that's just going to give us opportunity for, you know, more fresh ideas. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in a position to start to, to kind of like, you know, look for that and command for that, you know, in, in front of camera as well. Yeah. Um, and so some of the projects I'm, you know, beginning to develop, I'm, I'm more actively and more vocal about it. Because, you know, it is time. I think, you know, the, the, the shy guy in me from high school, you know, is, you know, is finally ready to emerge to, yeah. to kind of like speak out. <laughs> and, and you're, and you're in a position to, you're making genre like commercial, you know, and, and I mean that in a positive, not you know, a dirty word of like genre commercial, <laughs> like, yeah. like great, smart, you know, commercial film that, that are for mass audience. So it feels like you're in a great position to be able to bring these voices and these, you know, represent people on screen to the masses. Not like you're trying to make this small, quiet drama about something that might only be seen by a few people. It's kind of exciting to see what, what is that horror film? What is that kind of yeah. you know, sci-fi? What is that kind of side of it? I think that's kind of cool. The, the young, shy boy in you, looking back now at all these cult films that you have been a huge huge part of you know the list goes on but it's some we haven't even talked about but state land you know we have the, the innkeepers the house of the devil you know these are films that for me and phil and for so many filmmakers listening like hugely inspired by and it's one of the you know they're cult incredible movies and I suppose it's just really nice to sort of, you know, you should be very proud of where you're at. You should be incredibly, you know, pleased with what you've done. And I know it's so hard, the filmmaking world, but, you know, it really is an honor to chat to someone like yourself who has done this and has given your time here to chat about filmmaking, to give the advice back. And it's so important. But I suppose I wanted to ask that now, how does it feel? to be, you know, part of this wonderful, you know, stream of movies you've made. I'm yeah. still making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, well, I think being in New York for this MoMA retrospective has been a real good time for me to, to yeah. reflect. And it was, it was a big reason why I came over here and, and, and I sat through the movies and it's been really fun to rewatch and, and, and kind of, because I think, you know, life, you know, is, is always moving forward. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, and what the, you know, I think we're just, you know, this is just the beginning of what, you know, the next, 
you know, what the future of what filmmaking and, and, and distribution and consumption all look like as, you know, we enter into the world of metaverse and, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, taking the time, it, it, it is incredibly rewarding and, and, you know, I'm very proud and I do appreciate that, you know, this community, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, uh, you know, unlike I think other, other movies, like I don't think they are as lucky to get the annual sort of, you know, revisit because, you know, every Halloween it's like, all yeah. the titles like kind of pop up in my mm-hmm. life, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, and you know, it's a reminder of like, you know, time well spent, you know, I'll say that. Amazing. Yeah. Honestly, huge congratulations. Uh, thank you so much for giving so much amazing, amazing advice. Peter Polk, thank you so much. Honestly, this has been incredible. Uh, yeah, X you, is out now in cinemas, go seek it out. It will be uh, on demand very soon as well on your streaming platforms. We will send links to that very soon. But for now, go catch it in cinemas all around the world go do it thank you again honestly this has been amazing you can go make your indie film you can do it just as peter has done you can build up a career you can make things happen you can make cult films and you can keep doing it and delving a path for future filmmakers as well and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty phil to send the elevator back down but (laughs) peter basically gets everyone in the elevator and just sends them up at the same time same time so like you know it's he's he's changing the metaphor slightly but yeah it's cool he is but we love it again thank you again Peter thank you so much for your time can people find you on the socials by the way and say hello and say thank you for your time absolutely yeah for sure I'm on you know Instagram and you know I'm not the most active uh, on Twitter mm-hmm. but you know yeah you can get at me and just you know at Peter Polk we will put a link to that in the show notes as well link to everything we've talked about should be in the show notes if not harass us um, thank you <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do this for uh, take care everyone we will see you next Tuesday as always thanks Phil by the way thank you Thank you for joining us today. No worries. Absolute pleasure. Uh, take care, Peter. Uh, thank you guys so much. It's been a blast. Really enjoyed uh, revisiting all these movies with you and really appreciate uh, your podcast. Excellent. Woohoo! Thank you, buddy. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. The Filmmakers Podcast is kept going by your generous support. To hear some bonus content from today's episode and future content, subscribe to our Patreon.